Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Joining us now is Dr. Cornell West. He is the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Professor of Philosophy and Christian Practice at Union Theological Seminary. Holds the title of Professor Emeritus at Princeton University. He's running for president as an independent. Dr. West, good morning. My brother is so kind of you to have me, but I salute you, Brother Solomon Jones. You're a force for good, man. Thank you, man. W-U-R-D, you all doing a mighty work. Every time I think of the city of Philadelphia, brother, I think of John Coltrane, Gamble, Huff, Jill Scott, Nina Griffin, who's the mother of Sarah Jasmine Griffin, one of the great intellectuals of our day. And, of course, my dear brother, Mumia Abu-Jamal, which had a magnificent salute to him yesterday. Yeah. Can't wait till he gets home out of jail, though, brother. But we on the move. We yeah. on the move. I hear you, man. And and I appreciate all of that. And, and thank you so much for joining us this morning on WURD Radio. So you're running for president as an independent. Uh, running as an independent is a long shot. Why are you running? Brother, I was called... 55 years ago to try to tell the truth and seek justice that begins on the chocolate side of town. And, you know, I come from a great black people, man. Irene Clifton, West Shiloh Baptist Church, Black Panther Party. And what were they fundamentally concerned about? Truth, justice, and love as it relates to the least of these out of the 25th chapter of Matthew. That means brothers and sisters in the hood, on reservation, in prison, wherever folk are catching hell and being demeaned and degraded. That's why I was I connect Gaza on the one hand, but what's happened in mass incarceration? Anytime you have poor and working people who are being mistreated, that don't have access to food and quality education and decent housing and jobs with a living wage and the kind of dignity that they deserve, then I'm running. So I've been running for truth and justice for 55 years, and this campaign ain't nothing but a moment in a movement that spills over. And I just want the young people to know that they come from a great people. If I can be just a little wave in the grander ocean of our movement for freedom, then that's what I do. So now it's spilling over in the electoral politics, brother. Mm. So what is what is your path to victory? How do you see um, you winning this campaign? Well, one is, you know, we live in the American empire, have such deep spiritual decay and moral decadence, man, organized greed running amok, institutionalized hatred, running amok, scapegoating the most vulnerable, poor people, immigrants, running amok. One percent of the population own 90 percent of the wealth. Three individuals have wealth equivalent to 160 million fellow citizens. 50 percent of Americans, 62 percent of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Mm. You see, no society can survive. With, with that, th- those levels of decadence. So I, my program, of course, is one of abolition of poverty. We talk about gun violence. We're talking about these young brothers and sisters who seem to don't to, to, to lack the kind of self-love and self-respect and self-regard and self-esteem. They haven't been loved enough. Why? Because they, they're living in poverty. Their families are shattered. The communities are collapsing. we got to abolish poverty, abolish homelessness, make sure that people are able to gain access to jobs. Alaska just came out and supported me. How come? They got a universal basic income. People can only fall so low. There's a safety net. It's tight. I've never been to Alaska, but they already got me on the ballot. Why? Because they understand in part what I'm talking about. Now, I'm also for reparations. Now, 
you know, reparations not a major movement in Alaska. Alaska looks like the National Hockey League rather than the National Football League or mm. the National Basketball Association. Vanilla brothers and sisters up there. Mm. When you start talking about what's happening in Philly, I live in Harlem in New York, then reparations becomes important. Why? Truth and justice. Mm. The nature of the damage done, the exploitation, the plunder, and then what kind of repair. Mm-hmm. Restorative justice. Reparation-driven justice. And it's just a matter of being true to Fannie Lou Hamer, Martin King, trying to be true to Malcolm X, trying to be true to Curtis Mayfield, trying to be true to Nina Simone, their brother. Mm-hmm. So in terms of your platform around uh, the issues that are facing uh, the United States, uh, issues like the economy, issues like um, employment, issues like education, um, you know, what, what are what are, what is your platform that you are running on? Well, one, though, my brother, we can't separate domestic policy from foreign policy. You can't abolish poverty. You can't abolish homelessness. You can't have quality education if most of your money from the government is going in the military. Mm-hmm. And you and I know the United States has spent trillion, eight trillion dollars since Iraq, my brother, mm-hmm. eight trillion dollars and lost every war, lost every war and lost some precious human beings, not just Americans, but Iraqis. Not just Americans, but Afghanistan. Brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Not just Americans, but folks in Africa, with Africom. So that you have to disinvest the military and reinvest in the people to make sure their basic needs are satisfied so they're treated with dignity and humanity. That's the crucial thing. And this is nothing but what Martin King was talking about when he said America is the sick society would warp priorities and we need a revolution and a revolution is about what the sharing of resources the sharing of access to those things people need food water safe environment safe communities and so forth and i believe as an internationalist that that's true not just for poor and working people here but poor and working people everywhere look at the money we're willing to spend to enable a, a genocide in Gaza right now. We come up with billions and billions of dollars, but when it's time to talk about our poor, precious brothers and sisters in regard to their education, they say we don't have a penny. With, we have to balance the budget. We have austerity disposition. Mm-hmm. You see, that's part of the decay and decline. That's part of the callousness. That's part of the indifference to the suffering of vulnerable people. And Rabbi Hesher used to say, indifference to evils more in insidious than evil itself. Mm-hmm. And the Black Freedom Movement has always tried to shatter that indifference, get black people and other folks to say, we're not afraid, we're not scared, we're not intimidated. We're going to raise our voices, lift every voice is the anthem of black people, not lift every echo. We got too many black politicians and black leaders and black spokespersons who ain't nothing but just echoes of other people's silo and walk around acting as if they're on the cutting edge of justice when they really are well-adjusted to injustice and too often just downright sell out, brother. Hmm. So, Dr. West, um, we're talking with Dr. Cornell West. He is an independent candidate for president of the United States. You know, we, we've seen you on uh, the forefront of presidential politics for, for a number of years. One of the things that, that you did along with Tavis Smiley in 2011 was a national poverty uh, bus tour. Talking about the issue of poverty 
uh, at the time, you're very critical of, of President Obama. A lot of black people are mad at you for that, uh, Dr. West. Why did you do that? Oh, oh I could understand that, brother, because I don't love black people for black people to love me back. I love black people because they're worthy of being loved. And I put pressure on Obama because he bailed out Wall Street and gave Wall Street trillions of dollars. You had Wall Street gangsters engaging in market manipulation, insider trading, fraudulent activity, predatory lending, which was zeroing in on black folks. And how many Wall Street gangsters went to jail? Zero. Zero. But let Jamal and Letitia get caught with a crack bag. They're going to jail for years. I can't put up with that kind of hypocrisy. Same was true in terms of the military. You're dropping drones in Somalia. You're dropping drones in Libya and Pakistan. And you're killing innocent folks. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I come out of Shiloh Baptist Church. You don't kill innocent people, especially children, no matter who and what they are. And the Obama administration was doing both war and Wall Street. Instead of Wall Street, you should have bailed out homeowners. Black folk lost 58% of our, our, our homes during that period. Now, I understand the symbolic significance of Brother Barack and Sister uh, Michelle and the two precious children. But the symbols themselves oftentimes can hide and conceal certain substantive policies. I can celebrate the symbolic breakthrough of a black man being in the White House. But if you get in the White House and you're still tied to war on Wall Street and you can't say a mumbling word about poverty, Brother Tavis and I did that twice. And we were deeply criticized because all we said was, Brother Barack, where's your anti-poverty program? Martin Luther King Jr. was shot down dead because he made the connection between the call for anti-poverty and anti-war in Vietnam. He, he, he would not mention the word poverty, my brother. How in the world you're not going to mention the word poverty and 40% of our precious black children living in poverty? Mm-hmm. So I don't mind black folk coming at me because I'm loving them anyway. But I'm always beginning with the least of these back to the 25th chapter. Matthew, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me, the prisoner, the children, the elderly, the weak, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the persecuted. That's the kind of biblically centered project I have, because that's who I am. I come out of Irene and Clifton West. I come out of Glen Elder. I come out of Black Panther Party legacy. I come out of what Martin and, and Malcolm and Fannie Lou Hamer and Stokely Carmichael and others were trying to teach us with their love and with their lives. And same is true with my dear brother, Mumi Abu-Jamal. Hmm. So... Did you do the tour again in, in 2017 uh, talking about uh, President Trump? Well, with Trump, it was already clear that it, it was, there was no hypocrisy with him. He's a bona fide gangster. He says what he means and means what he says. And so I called him a gangster. I called for anti-poverty thing, but I didn't need to have to work through the words. He's up front. He supports big business. He supports big military. He's deeply racist. He's deeply sexist. He's xenophobic. So the words that I used were very different. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't come off back calling Obama no racist and sexist because he's you know he, he's not in the same way that Trump was. But the truth telling did go on. Oh, absolutely. The truth telling went on. The fact that I mean the, the, his fascism was something we called out two weeks before he was even elected in the New York Times. We put out a huge statement in the New York Times talking about American fascism was on the way. So it's a matter of consistency across the board. Same was true under Bush. Same was true under Clinton. I've tried to be 
consistent in the 55 years of my calling to tell the truth and seek justice, my brother, no matter what color people are. We're talking with uh, Dr. Cornell West. He is running for president as an independent. So, you know, you've got uh, on on the one side, you've got Joe Biden. He is right. uh, the incumbent president and, and a Democrat on the other side. It looks like you're going to have Donald Trump, despite uh, the, the many charges that he is facing. Um, who do you see as as the candidate you're running against? Well, to tell you the truth, I'm running against the system, though, brother. The whole system is just rotten. You got gangster Trump, neo-fascist Pied Piper, leading the country toward a second civil war. Then you got Biden, milk toast, enabling genocide, leading the world the world toward World War Three. Not just in the Middle East, but also with Russia, with mediated with Ukraine and China, mediated with Taiwan. And so you're going to choose between two catastrophes. What do you do when you got two catastrophes? We're black folk. We're we, we on intimate terms with that. Remember the great uh, Henry Highland Garnett said in Philadelphia back in the 1850s, he said, uh, for black folk, Pharaoh's on both sides of the bloody Red Sea. But what do you do when Pharaoh's on both sides of the bloody Red Sea? Well, first thing you do is sing a song. You know what I mean? You bring in, you bring in little Teddy Pendergrass, Phyllis Hyman, and, and Aretha, and, and and, and James Cleese, you got to sing a song just to be able to keep your soul going so you don't become cynical and don't become fatalistic. Then you love your children. Then you remember the smile in your grandmama's face. And then you straighten your back up and you tell your truth and you you create a way out of no way. Mm-hmm. You create a way out of no way. That's what jazz is. Duke Ellington says black people have made dissonance a way of life. A way of life. The blue note is a note of dignity and defiance. When you told there's no way out and you make a way anyway. Now, of course, as a Christian, I believe the God and Jesus got something to do with it. Malcolm's a Muslim. He believes Allah got something to do with it. We black folk have made a way out of no way, brother. Mm-hmm. There's never been a people in 400 years that have been hated like us. And we teach the world so much about love. Never been a people been terrorized and traumatized like us. And we teach the world so much about freedom and healing. When Frederick Douglass had to choose between two slaveholders in the 1850s, what did he do? He went third party, Liberty Party. Mm-hmm. That Liberty Party was an abolitionist party. And I am an abolitionist. I want to abolish poverty, abolish homelessness. I want to abolish low wages. And I want to abolish white supremacy. I want to. But but let me just ask you this. Um, let me just ask you this, Doctor West. How? Yes. Yes. How do you want to about how as president? Would you abolish poverty? How would you work with Congress in order to pass legislation in order to actually get that done? Well, first, Congress itself would probably be against me, you know. And keep in mind, though, brother, Biden's probably going to run out of gas. He may not even be the candidate. It's very clear that he's, it, 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 the decline is discernible. Trump may be on the way to jail. So I don't know exactly who the candidates will be, but whoever the candidates will be, I'm going to be constant and consistent in my concern about telling the truth, pursuing justice. But whatever the Congress is, I have executive order and I got the bully pulpit. And I tell them, look, you're spending trillion dollars on war. It's going to take about $210 billion to, to seriously begin to abolish poverty. I'm opting for the abolish of poverty before we make the move toward war and before we make the move toward any kind of serious expenditure for military. They're going to say, this black man lost his mind. I said, no, I'm the one in touch with reality. I'm the one committed to the truth and justice that's necessary. And therefore, from the very beginning, 
I become head of the empire to dismantle the empire. We don't need 850 military units around the world. We don't need special operations in 130 countries. Mm-hmm. We ought to be a nation among nations. We don't need to be an empire that other nations defer to. Our military budget is bigger than the next eight countries combined. Mm-hmm. That's idolatry, brother. Mm-hmm. That's idolatry. And who benefits from that? War manufacturers, the profiteer. That money can be invested in people. Mm-hmm. And how do you do it? You got to tell the people the truth. Use the bully pulpit, and you know, and I know, you know, we're talking about a moral, spiritual, and political renaissance, awakening, and revolution. And that's exactly my tradition. And I'm going to be true to my tradition. And, and the how has to do with trying to put people in motion. So they began to say, you know what? We tired of all of this gun violence. What, what, what would happen if all these young brothers and sisters didn't have to live in poverty to receive the kind of attention they deserve, not just spiritually and morally? but also educationally, also, mm-hmm. also socially. Mm-hmm. They weren't born shooting. They weren't born hating themselves. They weren't born hating each other. No, they precious human beings, but they've been neglected. They've been viewed with contempt, and they return that contempt. Yeah. So, Dr. West, if, if, if for... By some reason, uh, yeah. it was clear that you were you were not going to win. Who would you support in your stead? You mean a gangster or enabler of genocide? Well, I mean, you know, would you support another candidate if it was clear you weren't going to win? Would you endorse someone else? It wouldn't be the two, it wouldn't be the two that's out there right now. And of course, if things are changing, things are fluctuating. I'm going all the way, so I'm going to be supporting my own quest for truth and justice, but I'm not anyway going to kowtow and end up rationalizing mm-hmm. a fascism of a Trump or rationalizing the enabling genocide of a Biden. No, no, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't raise the rear like that. OK. Do you think that your candidacy might help Donald Trump by peeling off votes from Joe Biden? Well, no, most most of my folk who, are, who I speak to at this point are the 40 percent who don't participate in the system whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There's 62 percent who vote third candidate or third party every year and would never, ever, ever vote for a two party, uh, uh, either Republican or Democrat. Now, it's true that there are increasing number of precious Muslims and Arabs who used to vote for Biden but are abandoning him because of his support of genocide of their mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. Now, you see, they get, people say, oh, you're a spoiler, Brother West. No, I'm not a spoiler. If Biden is enabling the killing of somebody's grandmama, you think they ought to vote for him just because he owns their vote? No. No, he ought to quit enabling the genocide. Quit doing what he's doing as to why they shift. So in that sense, yes, there is that block the Arab and the Muslim brothers and sisters who were saying, wait a minute, this man is so deferential to this genocidal attack that I can't vote for him anymore. And I can understand that. I understand that very well. Now, keep in mind, I believe the killing of an innocent life is wrong. I don't care who it is. It could be Israeli, it could be Palestinian, it could be black or white or red or whatever. I thought that John Brown shouldn't have killed the white children in his, in his revolt at Harper's Ferry, and I'm very much a supporter of the resistance and resilience of oppressed people and black folk across the board, but I'm also a Christian. I don't believe in killing innocent folk, mm-hmm. but I understand 
what the nature of occupation is. I understand what the nation of domination is. I understand what the nation of ethnic cleansing is. And when you, when you make non-violent revolution impossible, you make violent revolution inevitable. That's what JFK used to say. And he's absolutely right about that. All right. Well, Dr. Cornell West, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning on WURD and certainly wish you the best. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 